Hello, my friends. Today, Joel is talking to Tom, author of the books Artificial Intelligence Basics and the Robotic Process Automation Handbook. And they discuss what will happen when jobs are automated away at massive scale and why many advanced professions may not be safe from automation. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. What What is your backstory? Like, why mm-hmm. did you decide to write this book? Yeah, yeah. The irony here is that we have pretty much almost exact backgrounds, except I'm a little older than you, probably a lot older than you. But uh, my back, uh, similar, but my dad was not an engineer. He, he was... Uh, but he was really into technology just as a passion. So he read a lot of science fiction and just loved technology. So, and this was back in the early eighties. So he, he bought a computer. I didn't even know he was going to buy me a computer. He bought me a computer and just put it on my desk and then just walked out of my, my room. And that was his way of saying, you, you know, you figure it out. So I looked at it for a couple of days, you know, just staring at it, think what, what should I do? And so I just started using it and kind of like you, you know, started simple, you learning the basic, you know, no one really talks about the basic computer language anymore. I learned the base, basic computer language, started creating my own programs. And then from there, learned Pascal. That was a really popular language uh, back in the 80s. And then C, this is before internet. So the way I made money is there were computer magazines that would have the code in the magazines itself, printed in the pages. So I would write programs and publish them in these magazines and make money that way in high school, just like you made money in high school. And then when I got into college, um, I was never really good at taking exams. So I thought about creating, but I saw students come in the classroom with computers and I thought, well, probably a lot of other students are not good at exams. So maybe I can create software to help them take and, and, and be better at exams. And so that's what I did. When Windows came out, I developed Windows software for that. Ironically, uh, one of the first exams I, I developed for uh, my software for was for the real estate exam. So uh, people in the real estate industry could get licenses quicker and then uh, get that process going so they could make money faster. Then that company evolved into the Internet came around and that company evolved. And I started another company that was kind of like a Shopify for 1997 uh, where you can build your own website and do some fun things on it. And we sold that uh, to a company called Infospace. And kind of rode the wave uh, for the rest of the 90s. Uh, but along the way, I did. I continued my writing, and I started writing for Forbes.com and different other publications. And so I was, was kind of always, you know, talking to a lot, you know, just like you, talking to a lot of interesting people. We didn't have podcasts in those days, but, you know, we, we, we had, on, you know, I, I wrote for the online portion of Forbes, and in those days, no one even wanted to talk to me because they thought they, the magazine was better. And, uh, but I still got to talk to a lot of interesting people. And, and, um, and so the way the, you know, I've written different books over the years, probably the one that's, you know, I'm most associated with is the AI basics book. And that came about, a lot of it had to do with Forbes.com because I was talking to a lot of founders and, and AI just kept coming up over and over again. And I thought, you know, there's probably a lot of people that want to know what this is about, but they don't have a technical background. So my, my idea was to, 
write a book where you can learn about deep learning, but not have to, you know, download TensorFlow and, you know, have an engineering background to, to know what it's all about. So that's kind of long winded way of saying, you know, I kind of start off self-taught like you, different startups, um, but I did some writing along the way and education along the way and came on this idea for the AI book. And AI has always been very interesting, you know, to me back when I started creating my computer programs in the eighties, you know, that there's a lot of movies about AI and I thought it was really cool, but there was, there was no way I could, in those days, they didn't have TensorFlow or open source or any of those types of things where you could, or even data that you could create these models. So it really wasn't practical. So um, that's why I focused on these other areas, you know, like the exam prep, internet, and, and those types of things. What other books have you written? Uh, another book on, on robotic process automation or RPA. It's a technology that uh, automates the user interface, say ERP systems or CRM systems. You know, the irony here is that companies have spent so much money on technology and they create their own workflows that can just bog down and get you know, repetitive. So, you know, you go into a typical company and there's always employees doing cut and paste all day long, you know, or, you know, taking a look at a PDF and, you know, doing a couple functions on it, but the same functions over and over again. RPA is you can create these bots that can automate, kind of like macros that can automate those, those processes. A lot of people confuse this with, with AI, it really isn't AI, but companies like UiPath and Automation Anywhere, the, the leaders have been able to leverage data to identify these processes that are not as optimal and provide suggestions of better processes and, and can create bots for you. You don't have to create your own bots. Yeah. So there's a lot of innovation occurring. It's one of the fastest growing areas in enterprise software, especially in the last two years with, with COVID. Um, companies have had little choice but to um, automate these systems because they had these huge spikes in activity. And so um, they just couldn't hire people fast enough to, to handle the, the volume. So they started relying on this uh, RPA uh, technology. And uh, yeah, UiPath is the, the leader in this space. So my book on RPA goes through the, you know, the industry, what the technology can do, how to build a bot, you know, how to implement, how to manage, and things of that sort. So that's nice. another, another book. Yeah. So for your for your AI book, uh, what is the audience like the just the average person or investor, mm-hmm. like or who? Yeah. Well, and the funny thing is, you know, I, w- I would talk to investors, VCs, and a lot of times I listen to them and they weren't quite right about certain things about AI themselves and uh, or even founders of companies, you know, and you know, there's probably a million AI companies out there because 999, you know, thousand of them, you know, just claim they're AI and they're really not AI. And That's how you, you get more money. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you got to pitch it. You know, I, I mean, I, I used to be in the trenches where I had to pitch my, 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 my ventures and you gotta, you gotta tell them what they want to hear. And even if you don't have it, you know, I mean, are they really going to know, you know, so, you know, you, you got to fake it till you make it. So I, there's a lot of that. So I see a lot of that. So yeah, it, it, it could be for a founder. It can just be for someone who works at a technology company is curious PR person, you know, could be someone at HR, you know, they're evaluating 
software for their, uh, you know, to handle the onboarding and talent management. Uh, there's some really tricky issues with that, with privacy and things that can go wrong and, you know, discrimination and things of that sort. So, you know, you don't expect your HR person to, to have a data science background and things of that sort. But, you know, with this book, at least they get the general understanding of, of what this technology can do, some of the risk factors, some of the things to anticipate, you know, how to implement this technology or how not to spend a lot of money on something that's not going to get you anywhere. Yeah. And I read the book. Um, <laughs> it, it's, it does a great job. It's like just to cover a couple of things. You've got data, machine learning, deep mm-hmm. learning, you know, a little bit, mm-hmm. one chapter on RPA, natural language processing, yeah. robots, implementation, all those things. So when I was looking at the book, I was like, oh, you know, I know about all this stuff. I wonder mm-hmm. what this book's going to be like. Is this going to be a boring mm-hmm. book? Is it going to be interesting? Mm-hmm. And then I was thinking about like how it would bring value to the audience, right? Because we're mostly mm-hmm. CTOs, VP of engineering, next generation tech managers and leaders. And one of the things I came up with was it's really, um, it's really good because it provides you like the way you succinctly describe and explain things mm-hmm. is better than the explanation I have in my head to give to a non-technical person. <laughs> so for, it's like education for me on yeah. like, you know, if you want to explain it to someone who's new at it, use yeah. Tom Tom's words. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I've been at it for 30 years of writing, uh, taking technical topics and making them understandable, you know, to those people that don't have that background, you know? So, I mean, I was doing that in high school with these computer programs and uh, doing it while I was in college with Forbes and things, that, you know, things like that. So a lot of experience of, of that and just trying to be in the shoes because, you know, sometimes you really know that you, you want to just throw a lot of a lot of information out there, and, you know, and, and that's usually not the best approach. You know, you know, with with this book, are you going to learn everything about deep learning? Absolutely. Not. Just scratching the surface. But you know what? Um, it's, it, it's actually just helpful to know what the difference is between machine learning and deep learning is, because I read a lot of articles and it's pretty clear. A lot of people don't understand what that you know the difference is so can you um, can you tell me what that, that difference level. is yeah yeah so i uh, think uh, you look at circles uh, this i use the circles analogy so artificial intelligence is a is the the circle the biggest circle it encompasses everything that has to do with uh, a machine acting like a human if, with intelligence taking data and coming up with insights, you know? So, I mean, Siri is obviously kind of artificial intelligence. It takes in data, you know, it takes in words, it, it analyzes those words and it, it, you know, parrots back something and answer for you, right? So yeah, it's a pretty basic idea. So that's the big circles AI. There's another circle called machine learning and machine learning is more about using traditional statistics to come up with conclusions. So if you went to, you know, in high school regression analysis, you know, where you would look at a couple of variables and find the correlations of those variables and what kind of out, you know, what kind of outcomes. So, you know, if you have a certain number of bedrooms and a swimming pool, well, and you live in this neighborhood, your house will be worth roughly this amount of money. That's a regression. That's, that's machine learning. So then what is deep learning? Well, deep learning is a circle within the machine learning. It's a smaller part 
of machine learning. So it's it's a circle there. And what it it it's very similar. It takes in data, it analyzes that data, and comes up with a conclusion. The thing is, it's way much more sophisticated. So you'll you'll have these things like hidden layers. It'll be a lot of these hidden layers, and it's taking in this information and going through these hidden layers and uh, allocating certain weights to this data. And then it tests it and saying, is that accurate or not? If it's not accurate, it'll then go right back to where it began and then try again. And find and, and it's just going through that and just crunch and, and, and these these models are just huge. I mean, M Microsoft has these models that are like a hundred billion parameters that just crunch numbers as deep learning. So it's just so much more sophisticated in terms of the analysis. So that's so in a way they're similar, but it's more of a, a, a difference in the huge degree and differences in terms of the amounts of data that's being processed and how it's being processed. And then there you'll hear things like back propagation and all these different really complicated concepts. And that's you don't have that machine learning. Again, machine learning a lot of times kind of what you learn in high school. It's more sophisticated, yeah, obviously more sophisticated, but it's basic statistics. Machine learning just goes to, to a whole nother level of analysis. And that's where you need these hugely sophisticated, you know, GPUs, the, these sophisticated hardware systems that can process just a large amount of information. Humans can't do it. And a lot of times it comes up with patterns that humans would never even think of. And that's where the real power comes from this AI. I mean, it, it tells you something you never, you know, it comes up with conclusions that, you know, you couldn't figure out. So it could be something like you have a oil rig and it'll tell you, you know, a certain part is going to fail within the next week. It may be a $50 part, but if your rig fails because of a $50 part and it fails for like 20 minutes, or you have to take a helicopter and that costs you 30 grand to get a helicopter to get that $50 part, and bring it back on the rig, that's a big deal. So those kinds of deep learning systems can be hugely beneficial to companies. And that's where in the last 10 years, we've seen so much of the innovation in AI is in deep learning. And we've had that because we have the GPUs, cloud computing, access to data, and then also all these sophisticated theoretical concepts that have come from these geniuses like Jeffrey Hinton and all these brilliant people from Facebook or Google who've come up with a lot of the the theoretical analysis for that. So the last 10 years has been really a, a new age for, for AI, and largely that has been due to deep learning. And so when when are they going to take all of our jobs? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got a really deep discussion about this. with a, uh, well, Actually, my first in-person presentation was two weeks ago. Uh, and I did a, pr a presentation on AI, and I brought this topic up, and we had a really deep conversation. Um, I, you know, you talk to companies and they'll say, oh, it's, you know, AI is not going to take jobs. It's going to enhance, uh, our jobs. It's going to make our jobs better. Or it's going to take, pro you know, it's going to take things that we do. It's repetitive and tedious and we don't want to deal with that. We humans want to do sophisticated things. The problem is this AI is going to do more and more human judgment type abilities. I mean, driving a car is, you know, that takes a lot of intelligence. I mean, that's not something that's, you know, tedious. I mean, that that's uh, takes some skill to do that. You know, 
so I, I think that I think the next 10 years, you know, right now we have a job, uh, a labor shortage, but I think in 10 years, I think there'll be some professions that will be automated away. I mean, I think like, like a CPA, even an attorney, you know, I mean, I talked to the CEO at automation anywhere and I mean, he told me like in five or six years, he thinks that, you know, the AI will be sophisticated enough to, to understand any contract, you know? So, you know, I, I do think that, uh, and then the thing is that, you know, people say that, well, you know, if it gets automated away, you know, new opportunities will come up, but how do we know that's going to happen? (laughs) So I, I think we're in for some interesting changes and, you know, your career path may be radically changed because of AI, maybe within the next decade or so uh, because of that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I fully agree, but but that's been happening since the beginning of time, right? The jobs we have today are not the jobs that we had a thousand years ago. Um, so I take, I like both sides of the argument, to be honest with you. <laughs> I think that's the most fun because I agree, I agree with parts on both sides. And, um, when I started to research this, it led me to a, a man named Ray Dalio and yeah, sure. he talks, so he, yeah, he was the one that taught me about how the economy works and gave me a real good mental image of how things work. And so I was trying to sort of you know, reconcile these two ideas of, okay, let's say that we automate every, everything. Like we, we automate everything. Um, even all the human stuff, like there's machines making music and stuff. Well, the, the way that currency works is it's an exchange between humans for agreed upon value. Right. So like, we're not trading money with chipmunks. (laughs) (laughs) They don't care about our dollars, right? So we're exchanging things of value with each other. And that's what the economy essentially is. And so we will, our values change. The things we value changes over time. And I think they'll always change. And so let's say that everything was automated. Well, I don't know what it'll look like exactly, but there will still be still be people trading things for other things. And even if it's the, even if 99% of all humans are some various form of artist, <laughs> right. Um, you would, you would want to pay for the, the authenticity, right. So, and also we all, we always tend to um, leave out the fact that our population grows and will become interplanetary and will expand and there's more people to trade with. And so I, I think there is a lot of pain along the way. I think we're more connected than ever. And people now can talk about that pain and it's more clear that it's going to happen. And there's actually things we could try to do about it. Um, so it's, it's definitely taking a lot of our attention, but I am an optimist long-term. I think it'll, I think it'll all work out, but yeah, there's there's going to be a lot of people displaced along the way. Yeah, and you know, I think that's you know, retraining, reskilling are, are very important. Um, you know, we've seen that already with IT. You know, you know, the, with a huge shortage in in qualified developers and coders. I mean, you've seen the emergence of these online platforms, these schools, these boot camps and stuff uh, to to get people you know trained for that. So I think that's an important part of that. You know, if we can get better at uh, retraining uh, people, but but yeah, change is always 
not fun for a lot of people. Yeah. For the entrepreneurs, you know, disrupting the industry, it's fun. But if you're the one being disrupted, it's, it's really not a fun place to be. <laughs> yeah. Oh, tell me. My, uh, my father-in-law is um, about to retire. He's for 30 years, he's driven like semi trucks for UPS. Right. And, you know, I've been with my wife for about eight years now. And every, you know, year I was giving him updates on the, you know, automation of the semi truck industry. <laughs> and he was telling me the whole time, it's like not possible. It's not possible. There's so much to it. It's very comp. It is a hard test. You, you know, cause you wrote in the real estate test, the trucking test is actually a very difficult test. Um, yeah, it's, it's right up there with like real estate's really tough. Insurance is tough. Trucking stuff. Um, but I was, you know, every holiday meal we're sitting down and I'm just showing them the updates until like, I think two years ago, they actually made the first delivery with an autonomous semi truck. And he is like, it's not possible. I'm like, well, dude, they did it. You know, like, <laughs> here's a video, here's a video of it happening. And, you know, one of the things that made me think about was like, there's this in different industries and in different jobs, there's this weird undercurrent that we don't have as much of in technology. So in technology, I'm self-taught, you're I'm self-taught, right? So we understand that like, okay, there's a new language, there's a new framework, there's a new style. I've got to learn these different skills. We have to, you know, things change, new technology comes out. We have to learn new things. But for somebody who's been driving a semi-truck, I mean, like very little has changed in, in the semi trucks, like you get really small changes over time. You might get like a new brake system this year and a new navigation system. So they're like these really small changes, not requiring them to like, you know, unload huge amounts of mental effort. So there's this feeling in a lot of industries that like, I should just have to learn how to do my one job and I should have this right to like do that job forever. And, I, and so I've been trying to better understand that because that's contrary to how the free market works, like, or how humans progress, even, even in non-free markets, how humans progress. That's just not how it works. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think yeah, that I is? Think, well, we, we, uh, when you get older, you kind of get set in your way, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, and then you complain about, you know, you know, uh, or, you know, like you said, you know, oh, you know, it's not going to work. And as you get older or you get kind of in, into your own echo chamber, you know, it, it's hard to change and it's hard to see things coming at you. So and the, until it's too late. And even then you're kind of dragging and screaming and saying that it hasn't changed. And, you know, but there is so much money being plowed and poured into these technologies. I mean, Amazon is spending huge amounts of money to automate everything. You know, Google's doing the same thing. Microsoft is doing it. Uh, you know, it's just only a matter of time. I mean, <laughs> I mean, this can all be replicated. I mean, driving a truck, is is probably easier than you know automating a regular car except when it comes to the you know there's there's things where you know making those turns and you know finding those you know getting you know backing up the truck and things like that but it's probably a computer would probably do better at that anyway than a human <laughs> so you know so yeah i mean and, and some of these industries like trucking i mean trucking is millions of jobs it's a huge industry people, families depend on that. And it could be a, a very much an overnight thing because one, wages are going up. So what, what what's popular for automation is, you know, 
is it high is it a high cost labor is it high cost labor well trucking really is so there's a lot of incentive to replace that you know that labor um, so if, if companies have an opportunity to do it they're, they're going to do it because they can they can justify the ROI there's some areas where it's tougher you know because I know there's you know robots I've seen robots in um, you know fast food companies and so forth you know now a couple of years ago it didn't make a lot of sense because the, the wages were pretty low but now you know it's like 20 25 dollars an hour to hire you know someone at McDonald's so it's getting to the point where maybe that robot does make a lot of sense to bring in. It's all there. I mean, the technology is all there to flip hamburgers. And the cost is going down just, with technology. And the cost and is the, always going down too. Yeah. yeah. So that cost curve is always going down. And then wages are usually don't go down. They usually go up. So there's a point where it just makes so much economic sense for these companies to buy this technology. It was always tough because how do I justify it? You know, am I going to spend a hundred thousand dollars on this robot? You know, how long is that going to take? You know, I don't, you know, a lot of times they just don't want to make those upfront expenses, but it's good. It's getting to the point where it's starting to make sense to do that. And that that's going to drive, it's going to accelerate the change and it's going to change the world in a big way. And, um, I, I don't think we've really thought about it. Yeah. Uh, you know. I think about it a lot. That's why I have this podcast. <laughs> I was like, okay. I need relationships at scale. I need to know a lot of people. I need to know the yeah. smartest people. And then that way it'll position me best for wherever, which way it goes. So relationships are vital, man. I, I was just, I was talking with um, Kyle yesterday. The, uh, he's not the CTO of Verizon anymore. He's like executive VP of technology innovation. I don't know, some long title, but he's, he's like a real bright guy, was an engineer and he, he's super smart. But, um, you know, we, we were talking about uh, you know, the future and technology and all of this stuff. And we didn't really get into automation. But one of the reasons that I was excited to talk with you is that, you know, sometimes when I get to talk with these um, more executive people, they, they won't be able to speak as freely <laughs> about certain things because they've got PR teams and whatnot, which I understand. But if I were to make you like leader of the free world... <laughs> How would you even begin to approach like the questions of people saying like, what are we going to do about automation? And well, first thing is you can't really do anything about it because it's just going to happen. It's happening already. You know, trying to stop the train is not going to be helpful because they're going to companies are going to find a way to, to do it. And we live in a free market system, so if they want to buy buy a robot to change, you know, to replace somebody, they're, they're going to do that. If they, if it's, if it's cost effective for them to do it, they, they certainly will do that. And I agree that, that, you know, you mentioned about the PR thing in my book, I have a story about IBM because in the early days, IBM was investing heavily in AI. And then there's, they emerged this talk in the fifties emerged this talk about replacing jobs and IBM wanted nothing to do about that. So they started backing off. And most of the, the research in AI in the 50s and the 60s, and even the 70s, was primarily from government institutions and educational institutions, not companies, because they didn't want to they didn't want to be associated with that because the, the bad PR. So yeah, so if a company tells you, oh yeah, this is, you know, don't worry, well, then you probably should worry. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, and, and it's going to start automating jobs and jobs that you don't think would be automated. So we always 
think it's, you know, again, the, the flipping of the hamburgers or things like that. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I talked to someone who's uh, um, pretty smart with technology. And, you know, one thought experiment was if you had a nurse and you had a doctor, which one would be automated first? And we thought that probably the doctor, not the nurse. Because there's certain skills that the nurse has that computers probably will have a hard time, you know, bedside manner, you know, just dealing with people and things of that sort. And some people just want to deal with people. Um, and for those those kinds of things, they, they don't want to deal with a, a doctor. But, you know, a lot of times, what does the doctor do? They ask you questions, they give you tests, and then they prescribe you something. <laughs> it's, pretty, <laughs> it's pretty much the, the typical workflow. Now, it's a lot different if, you know, heart surgery, cancer treatments, and all that. But I think for, like, a general medical, which takes up a lot of our costs anyway, I mean, it's pretty straightforward for, for medical. And we've already seen this, you know, to some extent with the use of, like, teledoc, you know, through the the COVID, you don't have to go to a doctor's office. You know, there's, there's these ways of remote treatment, things like that. So I would say that, um, you know, my, my recommendation would be, you know, let's, let's find ways to, to retrain people. You have a certain path for them to take uh, or different paths for them to take, because I do think that, you know, it's, it's, it's very, um, you know, we, we've grown up in a society that, you know, we feel that we have to work because it, it almost shows it, it's, it's how we value ourselves. Like, we feel valuable. If we work, we earn money, support a family. And if you can't do that and it's really no fault of your own, psychologically, I think that's a, it's very damaging. And so, now, maybe over generations that changes. But for those generations that have grown, have grown up that way, it's very difficult. So... I think that transition is not easy. So I think it's just trying to find ways to maybe it's a, some new deal of automation. I don't know, but you know, there has to be different paths, different education and things, you know, things like that. But I, I think there's certain industries that, you know, we'll, a lot of it will probably get automated away. Yeah. And different industries are at different levels. Like when the whole port backing up thing happened, I started researching into that and there's fully autonomous like ports all over the world we just, the unions got in the way and said, we're going to make it manual. So we're going to have slow ports. And when I see stuff like that, I'm like, I, I get it. Right. Like I'm, I'm, let's say I'm 55 or 60 and I'm about to retire and I'm a port worker. Like you, you don't want to go make that person, like learn a whole new skill. Like there, and so there's definitely human considerations for, like the edge cases or the transition points, like universal basic income is something a lot of people talk about. I don't know a whole lot about it other than they're running a couple tests in some, some different countries, but it's like it, it, some of the things I'm like, those are, those sound like okay solutions as long as they don't violate principles of a free economy. And cause I mean, you just give everybody money and you'll see runaway inflation. It's, it's crazy. Well, we, we've already seen that. We're seeing it in the last. We've seen it in the last two years. Yeah. I mean, we pumped a lot of money and we paid people not to work. I know. I mean, and we're now seeing the consequences of that. But you know, the, 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 there's certain you know there's certain people that prefer probably not to work, and they'd be just as glad to take money and not work. I, I don't know what that percentage is. I know there's a percentage that 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 believe that or are fine with that. I know there's another percentage that 
they just love to work. And even if they're not making money, I think they just need to work. So, but an aggregate, if you have a large percentage of the population getting paid not to work, I do think that's a problem. I think it's also a problem if the, you know, humans are very impacted by their environment, right? So I'm, I'm mm-hmm. careful about what's in my environment. You mentioned uh, Jeffrey Hinton earlier. Is that how you say his name? Yeah. yeah. What, what does he do? I haven't heard of him. Oh, yeah. So he's really interesting uh, background here. So he's grew up in England. His, I think his great grandfather was Darwin. Uh, and, and his mother told him, if you're not a professor, you're pretty much useless. I mean, not that bad, but pretty much like you have to become a professor. And so he grew up in a very academic family in England. And, uh, so he, he pursued that, that, that path for himself of academia. And, uh, he, he, he was, uh, so he, he, he got into college probably in the late sixties, early seventies. And his focus was he loved AI. The thing is, um, there are these, during the history, during the last 30, 40 years, there have been these AI winters where AI gets shunned. It just, everyone doesn't want anything to do with AI anymore because it's, and, and by by the time Hinton got into the university, uh, Oxford or Cambridge, I forget which one, um, he uh, came in right smack, right when the AI, the first AI winter hit. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, governments were pulling back funding because of inflation and they said you know who cares this technology is like it's interesting but it doesn't help us in any way so he got in at the worst time and um he didn't care he thought that this technology was the way of the future and he was in a winter for decades he was he was in a wilderness i mean no one wanted to you know, it, 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 some of these times, uh, some of these professors would, would would come up with other names for artificial intelligence, just because artificial intelligence had such a bad name because of the AI winters. But he he had none of that. He was I'm totally into AI, and he kept at it, just kept at it. So during the 80s, he came up with this concept of backpropagation, which was a core part of deep learning. And the thing is, deep learning the origins of deep learning go back to the late fifties and um, someone named Frank Rosenblatt who came up with the core concepts and it was called the perceptron and it tried to emulate the neuron of a human brain. And he had the different hidden levels and layers and things like that. Uh, but not as sophisticated because he didn't have the sophisticated computers. And then, um, and then there's another group, this some symbolic group, uh, Marvin Minsky and the folks at MIT who were totally against the perceptron and thought you you could, you know, create these expert systems and do if then statements and solve the world problems. And Minsky wrote a book that, that said the perceptron was, uh, was terrible. And, and then Frank a few years later died in an accident, a boating accident. And the perceptron went away until Hinton took a look at it and said, no, this is it. This is, and that, so he became really the, the um the godfather of deep learning and it was about 2010 or 2011 2012 when we started getting these huge data sets and they started to apply hinton's theories against these data sets and the accuracy rates were just off the charts just off the charts you know so the recognition of you know it was like cats you know cats versus dogs and you know it's kind of simple but but 
the the recognition was just so much higher. And then uh, all of a sudden, Hinton became the guy in artificial intelligence. But it took him like 30 or 40 years to get there. <laughs> um, so he's he's uh, still around, still alive. Um, he cannot sit down because he has a major back problem. And uh, I've seen interviews with him, and he never sits down. Um, and uh, it's just a brilliant person. And uh, Google bought his company. He started a little company and um, uh, works for Google now. Um, Do you know him? Do you have a relationship with him? I've, I've not met him, no. Okay. No. But uh, done a lot of research on him. Yeah, if you could interview him, you should you should yeah. reach out to him. <laughs> yeah, Fascinating story. I'll have like yeah. a standing desk company sponsor the episode. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> I want to talk with you about bias and AI, right? And specifically mm-hmm. like, you know, in the AI data, because data is like one of the most important parts, you know, the whole right. Geigo thing, right? Garbage in, garbage yeah. out. So this bias in AI data, you see it kind of emerge publicly as things like, oh, they didn't, they weren't able to recognize this individual's face on the video because Mm -hmm. of the uh, skin tone color, right? And other different ways or people are represented and different groups have different angles on it. Um, Mm -hmm. But my my thought on it is, it's like slightly different. like when we when we're talking about it, like how how can data not be biased? I'm curious to know this. Like how can you have a data set that's not biased? Well, data reflects our our society and our real world. So and and we're we're a biased species. I mean, uh, you know, we don't like to think we're biased, but but we are, and we we do discriminate. And we're we're from time to time not very fair in the way we do things. So the data picks up on that. Um, so, you know, in a way you're, you're just reflecting the real world, but you don't want to have decisions, you know, that you make using data that will result in unfairness and discrimination. So, you know, if someone is going to get a loan, uh, we want to make that as fair as possible. You know, if someone wants to get hired, let's make that fair. We don't want to lock someone out because the data goes against them. Um, so I think that a big, big move in AI is responsible AI, you know, that, uh, we just can't, we just can't throw, create a model and just let the model make all our decisions, especially in these sensitive areas, you know, about finance, you know, whether to, 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 you know, um, how many years we, we put a person in prison, you know, mm. uh, there are computer programs that do that. Um, so we gotta be very careful. With some of these things and i think companies are uh being more responsible and i think that's a i think that's a good thing but there, there are a lot of disaster stories of and, and the other thing too it's it's not like the data scientist is there plotting you know these diabolical Nefarious, plans. yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> you know it could but you then you go and look at a you know a room full of data scientists and they're all white and they're all male and they all went to the same schools. So what do you think? I mean, they're going to yeah. take a certain view on on the world. So, you know, that's the other thing. I think we have to have more diverse uh, data scientists. Um, you know, we just can't have the, the same people with the same backgrounds um, making these decisions and creating these models. Um, let's do a shout out for your book. Where should people go buy the book? 
Uh, so speaking of uh, the world changing, I don't know if there are uh, bookstores anymore. Uh, so the best way to <laughs> best way to get my book is to go to Amazon, uh, put my name Tom, last name T A U L L I. By other books like RPA, AI, and so forth. That's that's the best way uh, to get a copy of my book. And it's both. Uh, there's actually a Audible edition to my AI book, um, and uh, a couple of years ago when I published the book, I had people in Silicon Valley that talked about it and they go, can it be an audible? Because they go, I'm on the planes all the time and the car. And I just don't have time, you know, to just sit down and read. So uh, there's an audible version as well. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear, discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.